Thank you, Beth. Sing about us, please, and turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8. Let's look forward in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, this evening. We thank you that we can come and take some time, Father God, to open up your word, to spend time in the word and to study your word together. Father, we can know that the spirit of God will take the word of God and apply it to our hearts and lives. We pray that, Lord, today... The word would indeed accomplish your will in our hearts and it would not return to you void. But Lord, that as your word goes forth tonight, we will be challenged by it, encouraged by it. I pray that you give me wisdom from on high. Lord God, I might know exactly what you want me to say and how to say it. And we pray that, Lord, you'd use me to your glory this night. Guide our time, Father God, this evening in your word. And may you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8 has been described as the believer's declaration of freedom. Here Paul declares for you and I the freedom that we have, the spiritual freedom that you and I can experience in Jesus Christ, the spiritual freedom that you and I can experience or can achieve by walking in the Spirit as we trust in Him. In Romans chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4, we have the declaration of freedom from judgment. Starts out there, verse 1, with there is no, no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus, which we saw last week. We noted last week, he goes on to say, to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, there's no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, which walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Here we find that we are free from judgment, from condemnation, the condemnation of the law, the law can no longer condemn you and I if we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And Paul now in verses two, and, uh, 2 through 4 makes three statements about us and the law. And he shows to you and I that there truly is no condemnation to those who walk after the Spirit but not after the flesh in these three glorious statements. Firstly, the law cannot claim us, in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, Paul explains why those who are in Christ Jesus, those who walk after the Spirit, do not come under the sentence of the law of sin. He's made the declaration in verse 1 that there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. And now in verse 2, he explains to you and I why you and I do not come under the condemnation of the law when we walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. He's saying the law has no authority over us for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The declaration here is that the law has no authority over me and it can no longer condemn us because we are free from 
the law. The law of sin and death was strong and seemingly absolute. I mean, every sin we commit and every cemetery proves that to be true. The law of sin and death is a very powerful law. We sin and we die. Every sin committed and every cemetery demonstrates that there is a very strong law out there, the law of sin and death, that the law of sin ends up in death. That's the reality. But the Bible here says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ is much stronger. And the law of the spirit frees you and I from the law of sin and death. Look at verse 2 again. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. We need to understand that there is a law, just like the law of gravity, that operates all the time in the spiritual realm, and that law is the law of sin and death. The law of sin operates continually in the spiritual realm. While ever this world exists, the law of sin is in existence. It's an absolute law, like the law of gravity. It cannot be changed. It cannot be altered. It's an absolute law. The law of sin exists. We also need to understand that the law of sin has no jurisdiction over us who are saved. Because now we're controlled by a new law, the law of the Spirit. And this law brings life. The old law has gone and the Spirit has come in. When you and I walk in the Spirit, the Spirit enables you and I to live above sin. In essence, the question of Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, who shall deliver me from the body of this death, is answered here in Romans chapter 8. And the answer is the indwelling Holy Spirit delivers you and I from the law of sin when we yield to him. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, the law of the Spirit hath, of life hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And I want you to notice with me that God's word does not say that the law of the Spirit has freed me from sin and death. Paul doesn't make that declaration. He doesn't say that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of that may be free from sin and death. But it says he's freed us, the law of the Spirit, the law of life, has freed us from the law of sin and death. And this is an important difference. Because the truth is, a believer can sin. And a believer can die. When you and I got saved, when you and I received the indwelling Holy Spirit, and you and I walk in the Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit, that does not mean that we will not die. Because we all die. Unless the rapture happens first, death will come to all of us. And the reality is that all of us sin. So the law of the Spirit of life frees us from the law of sin and death, not from the sin and death. Okay, it's an important distinction. Paul says that the law of the Spirit, that is, the life of God, that spiritual life that you and I received, when you and I were dead in trespasses and sins, and he quickened us, 
He made us alive. He gave to you and I the indwelling Holy Spirit. When he gave to you and I eternal life, that has set us free from the law of sin and death. Paul here is explaining to you and I that there is another law. There's the law of sin and death, but there is another law that exists. And this law, this second law, this other law, relates to the inner man. And this law, this second law, has precedence over the law of sin if we walk in the Spirit. Okay, the law of sin produces death. But if you and I walk in the Spirit, it produces life. So it says in Romans 8, 2, The law of the Spirit of life hath made me free, or has set us free. That phrase, made us free, is a completed action. He has set us free. It's already in place in the believer. We have been set free from the law of sin and death. But we must appropriate that freedom by walking in the Spirit. That's verse 1. There is no condemnation that ended in Christ Jesus who walked not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life that's in us, that we have because we're in Christ Jesus, hath made us free from the law of sin and death. We've been set free from the law of sin and death. When you and I walk in the Spirit, we enact another law in our lives that governs us, that supersedes the law of sin and death. Now this is walking after, as mentioned in verse 1, where it says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The walking after here is the faith principle. This is the works of faith. Or if you like, as James put it, the works based on faith. It's the works that demonstrate our faith. Go with me to James chapter 2, please. James chapter 2. And verse 14. What does the prophet, my brethren, though a man say, yea, you have faith, and have not works, can faith save us? Save him rather. For if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warned and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it had not works, is dead, been alone. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without work, thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, for he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only. Likewise also was Rahab, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. 
For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You see, you and I are saved by faith. But then you and I have to walk in the spirit. And when we walk in the spirit, we produce the fruits of righteousness. We demonstrate our faith by our works. And the walking after of Romans chapter 1 and verse 8 is that walk of faith. That when you and I get saved, you and I can say we have faith in God, but the only way that that's demonstrated is when you and I walk in the Spirit, when we walk by faith. So that our faith is demonstrated by our work, by our works. Now this can be illustrated by the law of gravity versus the law of aerodynamics. And I thought this was a great illustration as I was trying to get my head around this whole thing. Okay, a man cannot rise above the clouds because of the law of gravity. And the law of mass holds him down. The law of gravity says man cannot fly. Just try it sometime. Jump off a roof and you'll know that the law of gravity always takes precedence over the law of motion without a doubt. You will always end up on the ground. It's a fact. Gravity is a powerful law. But get into an aeroplane and we find a new law which overrides the first law and that's the law of aerodynamics. Okay? You can fly if you're in an aeroplane because the aer- law of aerodynamics says you can fly. The pilot then demonstrates or proves his faith in the law of aerodynamics by pushing the buttons, pulling the levers, doing whatever you do to get the plane off the ground. Okay? The law of gravity says I can't fly. The law of aerodynamics says that if I'm in an aeroplane I can fly. The pilot then shows his faith in the law of aerodynamics by doing that which is necessary, what he needs to do, his works, to make sure that aeroplane flies. Because if you just sit in ice in an aeroplane, we won't fly, will we? Okay? Sit there, the engines are running, okay? and we just sit there. And we look at all the things in the cockpit and we just sit there. That plane is never going to get off the ground until somebody takes hold of the controls and makes that plane fly. By faith you believe that that thing can get off the ground. The pilot believes that by doing the things he needs to do, he can get it to fly. So too here. At salvation we've been delivered from death. The law of sin and death. And now in Christ Jesus, we live a life that does not produce death, but life. In Christ, we have the Spirit enables us to live above sin. We are in the plane, so to speak, when we live in the Spirit, because we're saved. And when we live by faith, we then take off, we fly. When we walk in the flesh, we produce dead works. And we will expose ourselves to the judgment of God. But walk in the Spirit. Walk by faith, and we will produce the works that are alive. We will fly. You see, the law of sin and death is a powerful law. The law of sin is a reality. 
And when you and I sin, it produces death. It produces works that are dead. But because of our faith, because we've been saved by faith, and we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have the mechanism by which we can fly. We can live above the law of sin. We can live by the law of the life of the Spirit in God. And we do that by believing by faith and walking by faith, walking in the Spirit. When you and I walk in the Spirit, the law cannot claim us. When we walk in the Spirit, secondly, we're told the law cannot condemn us. Look in verse 3. Now what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Paul explains further the Lord Jesus Christ's role in this whole matter of walking in the Spirit. He says, for what the law could not do. For what the law? Now the law here has to be the law of Moses. Because it says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. This can't be the law of sin and death. This must be the law of Moses. For the law of sin is not weak through the flesh. The flesh is the place of strength of the law of sin, isn't it? It's our flesh that craves sin. It's our flesh that causes you and I to disobey God. It's our flesh that does the wrong thing. Therefore, the law here, in verse 3, cannot be the law of sin because it thrives on the flesh. And this verse says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. This must be the Mosaic law. Because the law of Moses was weak. That is, the law of Moses was unable to save us. The law of Moses was unable to produce righteousness in my soul. The law of Moses was weak because of the flesh. You and I cannot keep the law. And that was proven throughout generations of the nation of Israel. It's difficult for you and I in the flesh to keep the law all the time. And James tells us, offend in one point, you're guilty of all. It's difficult for you and I to live the law. The flesh is full of sin. But it's under the law of sin. The flesh will keep me from obeying the law of God. It keeps me from gaining righteousness through the observance of God's holy law. The law could not defeat sin. The Mosaic law could only detect sin. Remember, Galatians tells you it was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law simply shows you and I we are sinners. The law cannot stop you and I from sinning. Go down the road, get on the new Pacific Highway, the speed limit is 110 kilometers an hour. The law can tell you the speed that you are to go at, but the law cannot, that road sign cannot make you obey that sign. And you're traveling along there at 120 kilometers an hour, the sign doesn't jump out and stand in the middle of the road and say, Stop! You can't do that. And that's the image here of Mosaic law. The law can tell us 
what is right and what is wrong, but the law cannot make you and I do right or wrong. It can detect sin. It cannot defeat sin. So God had to do something about it. And he did. According to verse 3, it says, For what the law could not do in it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God did something about it. He sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, in resemblance to or similar to, not the same as, but similar to sinful flesh. Now Paul chooses his words carefully here, indicating to you and I that Jesus was not sinful flesh, but he identified with sinful flesh in its entirety. By coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, that is, through his death and burial and resurrection, he condemned or he sentenced sin in the flesh. We cannot say that Jesus came in simple flesh because he was sinless. We could not say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh because he really was human. He came in flesh and blood. He was not just like a human, he was a human. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us that he was, came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And we can say that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh because although he was human, he was not sinful. There was no sin in him. He was without sin. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And Romans 8 says, tells us why he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so it says, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. The word for there is concerning so Jesus Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh concerning sin. In other words, his concerning coming was our sin. He came to earth to deal with sin. He came in the likeness of sinful man to deal with our sin, to deal with the sin that resides in our flesh. He came to break the power of sin in our lives. And so by coming and dying and rising again, he put sin to death in our flesh. He put the indwelling sin under condemnation, which the law could not do. The Mosaic law could not deal with our sin. Now the law can do many things. The law of Moses can guide us, it can teach us, he can tell us about God's character. But the law cannot give energy to the flesh. It cannot give us the standard. It can give us the standard, but it cannot give us the power to live pleasing to God. You and I can memorize the Ten Commandments. We can know them backwards and forwards, but knowing the Ten Commandments will not stop you and I from sinning. It can't deal with the sin in this flesh. Paul's asked the question, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death in Romans chapter 7? He wants to know what's the answer. Well, the law of Moses is not the answer. He knows that. He has tried living by the law, and he knows it's not possible to, to keep the whole law. He knows that he can, he, the sin is present with him. Remember the struggle? The things that I would, I do not. The things that I would not, those things that I do. 
Paul has a struggle within him and he talks about the wretched man that I am. He understands the struggle of the flesh with the spirit. He understands what's going on and he knows the law cannot deal with that. He says the only solution was for God to send his son to die on the cross of Calvary to break the power of sin in our lives. One commentator said this, Moses' law has right, but not might. Sin's law has might, but not right. The law of the Spirit has both right and might. You know what? Moses' law tells us what's right, but it has no power to do anything about it. The law of sin has the power to make us disobey, but it has no right. It doesn't know anything about doing the right thing. But the law of the Spirit has both might and right. Another commentator put it this way. The law is weak to us because we are weak to it. The sun cannot give light to the blind eye, not from any empathy in itself, but merely from the incapacity of the subject it shines upon. The reason why a blind person can't see the sunlight is not because the sunlight is incapable of, of shining bright enough, it's because the blind person's eyes cannot see. And that's the problem with you and I. The problem is not the law. The law of God is not impotent and it's not capable of teaching truth. It is. The problem is that you and I in the flesh cannot obey it. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we want to do right, no matter how many times we get up and we make a, a daily resolution, today I'm not going to do the wrong thing. You and I can resolve every day to obey the law of God. You and I can strive every day to obey the law of God, but sooner or later we will fail because the flesh is weak. The law of sin is ever present with us. It never goes away. And so the law is weak because it speaks to our flesh. But the work of the Spirit transforms us by the crucifixion of the old man. You and I receive the indwelling Holy Spirit and he imparts in us the new man. And because you and I have the indwelling Holy Spirit, you and I have a law that superimposes itself over the law of sin and death and gives us the ability to fly above that and walk in righteousness. I read this illustration. A vine does not produce grapes by an act of parliament. They are the fruit of the vine's own life. So the conduct which conforms to the standard of the kingdom is not produced by any demand, not even God's, but is the fruit of that divine nature which God gives as a result of what he has done in and by Christ. You and I will not walk in righteousness simply because God's word demands it. No more than a vine can produce fruit by an act of parliament. The only way a vine produces fruit is because the vine of its nature produces grapes. And you and I will only produce righteousness because of our nature, that spiritual nature that we have because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ broke the power of sin in our lives. And now you and I can walk in the power of the Spirit by faith 
By faith you and I can live free from sin. And the law cannot condemn us. If we fail to walk in the Spirit, we stand under the condemnation of the law. But because of Calvary, we don't have to be condemned. We can live in victory. The law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life, has set us free from the law of sin and death. When you and I walk in the Spirit, but not in the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, and the law cannot claim us. Walk in the Spirit, and the law cannot condemn us. And then lastly, walk in the Spirit, and the law cannot control us. Look in verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8, 4 tells us that. That's where it starts with. Notice what it says, that. The word that is in order that, for the purpose of. So he says this, in order that, these things are true, verses 1 through 3 are true, in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is what God has wanted all along. He's wanted for you and I to walk in righteousness. When you and I got saved, he justified us Justification means to declare righteous. You and I have been declared righteous at salvation. But we're not made righteous. That's our daily walk. That's our sanctification. We have to walk in righteousness. And this is what God wants for you and I. He wants you and I to live righteous lives. Now this righteousness can be fulfilled in us. Notice what it says. In order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now the might be fulfilled speaks of an act of potentiality. In other words, it's possible. This is, this is something that's possible. This is something that can happen to you and I. It's what God wants us to realize. You and I have received the indwelling Holy Spirit. You and I have the power in us to live righteously. And God wants you and I to live in righteousness. We have the potential, if we walk in the Spirit, to have a righteousness of the law fulfilled in us. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin that bound us. That's what he said, verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own son, the likeness of sin the flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now it does not say that we might fulfill the law. Did you notice that? Read it again, verse 4. In order that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. It doesn't say that you and I may fulfill the law. But that the law might be fulfilled in us. We are passive in this action. God is the actor. God's doing the work here. Now this is 
vitally important. If you haven't grasped everything else I've been saying tonight, this part is vitally important. God is the actor here. God's doing the work here. God's the one who is fulfilling his righteousness in us. We are not fulfilling the law. The law is being fulfilled in us. The only thing that we need to do in order that you and I might have the law fulfilled in us is what? The end of verse 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. He starts this section, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's the statement of fact. He then proceeds to tell us how that is accomplished in us. How do we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh? Verses 2, 3, and 4. And he concludes with the same statement, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law is fulfilled in us when we walk in the spirit. While we're walking in the spirit, God fulfills his law in us. Now we talk about God giving us the power over sin. But that is not strictly correct, doctrinally. Okay? It's a great statement and we love to use it because it explains something to us, that God gives us the power to live free from sin. God empowers you and I to have victory over sin. But doctrinally, that is not strictly correct. For God does not give the Christian the power to overcome sin. That's never told us in the New Testament. We're never told that you and I are given the power over sin. What happens is this. That when you and I get saved, you and I receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. And God the Spirit comes to, into us and then by his spirits, he overcomes sin in us as we yield to him. As we yield ourselves to God, as we yield ourselves to the spirit, as we walk in the spirits, he then fulfills the law in us. Now if that isn't a glorious truth, I don't know what is in the word of God. You get that? We don't have to do anything here. This is not a case of you and I somehow having to find out a list of rules and living by those rules, or, or that you and I somehow finding God's word and striving now to walk in the spirit, and therefore that the, you and I might have victory over sin. God says this, walk in the spirit, yield to the spirit, yield your members as instruments of righteousness, as chapter 6 tells us, Walk in the Spirit, and I then will in you fulfill the law. I will make sure the law is fulfilled in you. The moment we yield to the Spirit, He will fulfill His law in us. But the moment you and I fail to yield, we're in trouble. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, He says, Be not drunk with wine. Whereas excess, but do what? Be ye filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit 
to control you. God sent his son to die so that the righteousness demanded by the law might be fulfilled in us, not by us. We're not striving by ourselves to fulfill the law. What we have to do is simply yield to him. And then he will fulfill the law in us. <laughs> I just love all this. I, I don't know about you, but I love all this. See, when I got saved, I did nothing to save myself. I was a sinner on the way to hell. And God came and he challenged me and convicted me of my sin. And I realized I was a sinner before a holy God. And I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And God alone did all the work. He justified me. He forgave me. He redeemed me. He did all the work. I was reconciled to him because God did it all. Jesus paid it all. And God made sure that when I trusted him, he did it all. I was saved by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. But do you realize that God then said, okay, I started this in you and by faith you were saved. I now want you to be from glory to glory conformed to the image of my son and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do that work too. I'm going to make sure you can be sanctified. I'm going to make sure the law is fulfilled in you. All you have to do is to now live by faith. The just are saved by faith. James tells us that Abraham was justified by his works. Remember that? And Abraham was counted for righteousness, and the just shall live by faith. Why? Because not only are we saved by faith, but we live by faith. Remember, Hebrews tells us if anything is not of faith, then it is sin. This is a glorious truth. There's no, there's no struggling here. There's no fighting here. This is not you and I having to daily get up and battle with this flesh. We simply just need to yield ourselves to the Spirit every day and allow the Spirit of God to fill us. And as He does, He will fulfill His law in us. What the law couldn't accomplish, God does. You see, we can on our own strength attain righteousness. The law cannot accomplish righteousness in us. No matter how hard we try, we will fail. For the flesh is unable to do the will of God. The law of sin, which dwells in the flesh, results in death. It's the law of the spirit of life that enables you and I to walk in righteousness. You and I can now live righteous lives, not by keeping the law, but by walking the Spirit. The law can only condemn. But because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we can be enabled to walk in obedience to God if we yield ourselves to him. You know, that ought to cause all of us to go, ah. all I have to do is trust 
in him. Just walk in the spirit and God will do the rest. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that, that is so, so releasing. That is so, gives so much freedom to us. It just takes the burden off us. God says, just yield to me and I will do the rest. That's what he does salvation. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? That's what he wants to do with sanctification. I mean, he's going to do it in glorification. You and I cannot be glorified. There's not something we can do. He will do that one day. All of us will be taken home to glory. And when we get there, we will be changed. And we will be glorified. We will be made like him, for we will see him as he is. That is a fact. That's our glorification. God will do it all. At salvation, God did it all. And yet somehow we get surprised that God will do it all in sanctification. Somehow, God did the start, God does the end, but we've got to do the bit in the middle. <laughs> well, that's not what God's Word teaches. And while the book of Romans at times is a complicated doctrinal document, and it is, it does my head in as I'm studying it at times, it is some of the most glorious truths in the Word of God for you and I. God says, yield to me, walk in the Spirit, and I will fulfill my law in you. You know, the legalist tells us that we must strive to obey God, that we must do this or that to be spiritual. The legalist measures my righteousness by a set of rules and standards. If I can tick these things off, then I am living righteously. And if you've ever noticed, the legalist has a set of standards that he keeps, and not necessarily that I keep, okay? He calls me, you know, liberal because this is where you're supposed to live. Well, there is no such thing as legalism when it comes to God. God says, listen, forget all of that. Just simply yield to me and I will take care of the rest. The Spirit-led Christian, as he yields the Lord, is empowered by the Holy Spirit and experiences the sanctifying work of the Spirit in his life. Go with me as we close to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. And verse 13. Let's go back to verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. It's God that worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Sanctification, beloved, is not you and I trying to conform to a list of rules. But it's you and me yielding to the Holy Spirit. And then we fulfill the law to the glory of God, because he fulfills it in us. He can... How can we be free from the law of sin and death? By walking in the Spirit. The walk of righteousness is only possible because of what Christ did for us at Calvary. He died to set us free from the law of sin and death. And he gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit so that you and I might walk in the Spirit and he might fulfill his law in us. And that, beloved, is one of the most glorious truths of our sanctification. Jesus paid it all, and God will do it all if we simply will yield to him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. And Lord, at times 
the doctrinal nature of the book can make it hard for us to comprehend the concepts. But I pray tonight, Father, that everyone might have got at least the central truth. Father, the way that we indeed walk in righteousness is by just yielding to the Spirit, not by seeking to do the law. Help us, Father God, to live in the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus to your glory day by day. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.